I'm Marissa Norcross. And I'm Dave Freund, and this is The Next Page. Marissa, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am terrific. You always outdo me. <laughs> <laughs> so next I, week, I should I just say, you should terrific. go first next week. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to come in with, I am absolutely amazing, and you'll have to top that. And I would just say, yes, you are. And we'll move <laughs> right in. But the sun is shining today. I know. It was chilly. The dates are to... getting longer. I feel like, I, I feel like I, people are so sick of hearing me talk about the sun, but I'm going to do it again. The days are getting longer. It's 537, and the sun is still out, and we've got, we'll be setting the clocks forward soon. That's and... right. I can't wait. It's, it's spring is just around the corner. Yeah. So today's um, today's post was kind of surprising, I bet, when you first read it. Mm-hmm. Because I talk about a monument that is, well, it's, I, I start my post on the corner of 3rd and Highland Streets in North Syracuse, you'll find a large monument. Which is true, and it's up on a platform, and it's or up on a, like a, a knoll, and it's fenced in, and it's just these two guys. And you're like, who are those two guys? <laughs> well, those two guys are German poets, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe and Friedrich Schiller. How's that for trying to use a little bit of German accent there, or pronouncing it <laughs> better? Properly? You than which me. I should be well, with a name like Freund. I better be able to, <laughs> yes. you know, pronounce von Goethe and Schiller because. I should, I should be able to do that at least because I am fairly German. But so history about this. Um, Syracuse is an amazing city. And everybody knows that I love this city and I love central New York. But the immigrant influence in Syracuse is enormous. And so the German Americans decided back in 1911 to erect this monument. And the interesting thing is that there are three other monuments that are almost identical to this one. Uh, one in San Francisco, one in Milwaukee, one in Cleveland. So it's San Francisco, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Syracuse all get this almost identical monument. When I say almost, the other three are bronze, mm-hmm. and this one is copper, from what I could tell, which is probably why there is a fence around it, because I can only imagine how much copper is really sitting in that monument. It got me to think about other monuments for immigrants in the city of Syracuse. And and what we it's it's interesting what happened. The the north side of the city, predominantly Irish, I'm sorry, Italian and German. Mm-hmm. The west side of the city, predominantly Irish, Polish, and Ukrainian. And the eastern part of the city going east on, on Genesee Street is where a lot of the Jewish immigrants began to settle. And you can tell where people settled based on the churches that were built. Because what would happen is churches were built, that became the focal point of the neighborhood, and then other immigrants came and they wanted to worship in that house of worship, and so they settled in those same regions. Now, even today, you know, Little Italy, the, the north side of Syracuse, just some amazing Italian restaurants up there. Of course, you knew I would get into food, didn't of you? Of course. <laughs> you know, um, but then there's this other monument. So th- this one, I when I was kind of writing about it, I'm trying to figure out how do I talk about a monument that celebrates vandalism? But 
you can see that up on Tip Hill because there is the only street light in the United States where the green is on top. Mm-hmm. It's on Tip Hill. And right on the corner is the what they call the Stone Throwers Monument, where there are these adults actually pointing to the light and a kid getting ready to throw a stone at the street light. And so there and if you do some some searches, I'm not gonna mention anyone's name for sure. Um, but if you just do even a Wikipedia search on that light, there are the names of the boys <laughs> that threw the stones to knock out that light. But it's just it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's there's Coleman's pub right down the street, you know, uh, to get some great Irish food. But we just have great restaurants, right? And so we we look at even um, Eva's on Milton Ave. Oh, I knew we'd some... get to Eva's within the first 10 if minutes. If <laughs> you want some really good, more of an Eastern European flair of food, because, you know, I am a German. And, and, okay, I think the Germans are better bakers. You know, they, they have sauerbraten, which I love. But other than that, the Germans are kind eh. You have to kind of get more with a little more of an Eastern European flavor, um, you know, where you get some of the Hungarian and the Polish and the Ukrainian, where you get some some more spices into their food. But we got to move beyond food. So the city of Syracuse. I, I just I want to point out some some statistics here. Um, in 1897, the population of Syracuse was 88,000, which I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're talking like the late 1800s. There's already 88,000 people in the city of Syracuse. We, we know that if we go back into the early uh, 1900s, we were like the 23rd or 24th largest city in the United States at that time, which was crazy. But so I started looking at some some numbers. So just before 1900, the late 1800s um, were 88,000. But listen to how this breakdown. There were 16 different nationalities that were represented in in this study that I saw. There were 1,500 Polish, 8,900 Germans. The Germans were the predominant largest uh, group at that point. Um, 1,000 Russians, 6,000... 25 Irish, 400 Norwegians, 400 Scottish, 5,000 Italians, 2,700 English, 2,500 Canadians, uh, French, 300, Swiss, 210. There were 150 Austrians. Then my wife came and there were 151. (laughs) Um, Swedes, there were 90. Danes, 75. Hungarians, 50. And Chinese, 30. If you add that up, you come up to 29,000 180 or one third of the population of Syracuse were immigrants. That's amazing. And it just and mm-hmm. and so when you when you look at what that why why did Syracuse end up being this major industrial city and and really an economic power you know in the center of the state? Well, yes, the the Erie Canal had a lot to do with it, but so did the immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nothing, it's not something that had died off. So I was looking at another report that I found. This is a report that was issued sometime around, I'm going to say 2015. And it basically was, the, the title of this report was New Americans in Syracuse. Um, the percentage, so this is what new immigrants to Syracuse contributed 93 million in state and local taxes, 140 million in federal tax contributions. Um, 
foreign-born residents contributed 1.7 billion to the GDP of the metro area. I mean, that's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, here was another interesting one. So over the years, up until 2000, the population of the cities of Syracuse was decreasing. But from 2000 to 2014, when they were measuring this, the trend was reser- was reversed, and there was a 1.8% population increase. If you look at native-born, it was flat. That entire increase were new immigrants. Wow. Which I thought was awesome. So getting back to some more things that, I, you know, why am I saying this, this matters? Um, they were the large, they, even though they, cons- in comparison to the workforce in the city of Syracuse, resident versus longtime resident, like born in, in central New York kind of thing versus immigrants, they were a larger, their percentage of immigrants in the labor force was higher than the percentage of resi- natural-born residents in the workforce. I hope I said that right. So they're working harder. They're working more. More of them are working. Okay. They contributed between 2000 and 2014, 406 million to the housing value by buying homes in our area. Interestingly enough, from 2009 to 2014, right after the Great Recession, the total housing value um, raised by $233 million. Wow. Um, entrepreneurship. They are 7.4% more likely to be entrepreneurs than folks that are natural born here. Immigrants amounted to $22.3 million in additional business income from their entrepreneurial pursuits. Um, here's another one. Foreign-born residents tend to have higher education levels than U.S.-born citizens in the Syracuse metro area. Those of, the, of those born, of those achieving bachelor's degrees, foreign-born, 30%, U.S.-born, 22%. Advanced degrees, 12% foreign-born, 8% U.S.-born. Hmm. Here was another one that I thought was fascinating. Um, the share of Syracuse Metro of Metro Syracuse residents speaking a language other than English at home, almost nine percent. Wow. And then this was another beautiful one. There were twenty two thousand six hundred and six um naturalized immigrants. So these are immigrants that became citizens within our region as of this this period of twenty fourteen. And 55.4% of those living here became citizens. That's amazing. That's a number that you want to hear because you talk about, you know, people coming to the country but not becoming Americans. No, that's not the... Those that were eligible are becoming, more than half are becoming American citizens. And because and, there's certain things you have to go through. You have to be here a certain period of time or or be born here, like if you have children here, that might affect it. But if I'm not mistaken, I think my wife had to, had to be here five years before mm. she could become a citizen of the U.S. In fact, I know it did because I, re- I remember when we were, we were counting out, okay, when can she become a naturalized citizen? So this is great that, you know, 
those that are eligible, more than half of them are becoming citizens. And, and, and you also have to understand, you know, why might not they be? Well, it, it, it's not easy to become a citizen. I really believe that I would, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the vast majority of the young people that I graduated from high school with could not pass the citizen test, the naturalization test. Because I mean, I, I think you, a lot, most people would yeah. probably need to to do some studying. You'd have for to study, that. even even yeah. though we probably were taught it in school. But you know, when you have to talk about the the three branches of government, you know, and they're mm-hmm. they're asking questions about you know the House of Representatives and the Senate and and how long terms are. Unless that's all changed, I remember helping my wife study for that, and because I was like this government history kind of nerd i knew the answers um but most people don't but if you want to become a citizen you do Mm -hmm. so again these you know what what our immigrants bring to our community is huge um some of us locally would know that that up until a few years back there was a um a foundry on thompson road orbidorfer foundries and and that company was started by a German Jewish American Moses Oberdorfer who started the company in 1922. So if we start looking around our region there is there are companies that were started by these immigrants not just restaurants I mean I still love the restaurants um some of our of our our thriving manufacturing community today I'm thinking of Stickley Furniture and some years ago I toured Stickley's company and I went through their break room and there are all these flags, and I'm, I think there was over 20-some flags flying of the, the nationalities of their employees. Um, when I, I did some work for Chobani, the, the Greek yogurt company, and if I'm not mistaken, about one-third of their employees are Burmese refugees. Mm-hmm. So where would we be without them? They're... They're more focused on, on, on creating a better life for their families. I just, I just recently heard a story just this week. My wife was sharing with me a story of a family that is literally living the American dream. And they came from China. And, you know, the grandparents don't, can, can hardly, if, I don't know if they can communicate, to be honest with you, in anything, unless you understand Mandarin Chinese. But the but their children, you know, have have a business, um, are working very very hard, are are really scraping. If you go into their home, there's not much there other than what you need. But their kids are going to get degrees in in universities. They're living this dream of their their kids being able to have a life that they couldn't have. I you know I look at so my. So I'm a first-generation American because my mom was from Europe. My dad is a first-generation American because his mom was from Europe. My kids are first-generation Americans because their mom was from Europe. So our family's doing our part to continue to bring immigrants um, to this country. But it adds such a beautiful flavor to your life to have this culture from another Mm -hmm. country. So your background... Mm-hmm. I know. I know you've got some Italian. Yes, I am Italian and Portuguese. Portuguese, right? Wow. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, That's exciting. It is. There aren't a lot of Portuguese in the area. Well, or at least I don't know them. Um, You know, I know many Portuguese settled in the Salve area. um, And I I still, you know, I know a few families, but I don't know a lot of them. I know, of course, plenty of Italian families. um, But yeah, it's... um, it's really cool. I, know, I, I didn't know many, you know, other Portuguese kids growing up. But did you did you have any? Are there any unique uh, traditions that your family has because of your Italian or Portuguese background? I think um, on the Portuguese side, I don't know if we have too many built around that um, around those traditions. I was fortunate enough to know my great grandmother, um, mm. and she was from Portugal. Uh, she came over here as a teenager, and I used to spend a lot of time with her as a as a young child. And yep. I know she had you know some special recipes that that That's she great. used to make. And you know her daughter, my great aunt, um, she will still make them from time to time. So occasionally I, she'll mail me and my family um, some sweet rolls and things like that. Mm. Um, but on the Italian side, I think a lot of, um, you, know, you think about just my big, loud Italian family. I yes. think we fit that mold pretty well. Um, and we come together around food. So, you know, yep. like a lot of cultures, um, gathering around food is a big deal. Yes. But um but I think that's true for everyone. So I don't know I don't think it anything is. unique there. Yeah, it is. And you know it's and I love how you said your your big loud Italian family. Well, and if there were Greeks, they would be big loud Greek family. Yeah. And ours mm-hmm. is a big loud German family. You know, families that get together that love each other are loud. Yep. And I think one of the beauties that 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 the um the immigrant population continues to do is to keep the big family together Mm -hmm. and the reason why they did it was they needed each other you know i'm i if i think back of you know my grandparents um settled in in central ohio when they came over from europe and it was one of the siblings of the family like my grandmother's sister and her husband settled first and then the others came and these folks were fleeing you know um Europe just before World War II was when a lot of my immigrant family came over. Um, and they didn't have anything. You know, and some of them had, maybe one of them lived on a farm, and so they all lived with each other for a while till they could get their own start. And, and they just continued to work very, very hard at whatever they could. But they always knew that family would be there. And so they cherish that family thing. And I think that's the cultural piece that, that I think I got from my, my European grandparents was its family. And, and I remember my mother saying the same thing. Very, very big for my mother to have, you know, f- as often as you can, family get-togethers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even f- my wife's family went from Austria and settled in, again, central Ohio because her aunts and uncles were there. And that to me is just this beautiful piece. Yeah. And I always loved, I don't know if if you ever did this growing up, if you had any friends who had 
you know, different cultural background from you, but going to their homes and experiencing their family's traditions and and their culture and their cuisine, it was always a really fun experience. And I think that's what makes our area so special is that um, you had previously shared with me the idea, I think you told me that a a teacher had, had said that, you know, this isn't an area that we would call a melting pot, but it's more like a salad bowl. Exactly. And 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 I love that example. Yeah. You know, because we were, I was taught when I was in school, you know, in the seventies, I was in school and, and they were talking about America as a melting pot. And I'm like, no. And then I had the teacher say, it's more like a salad bowl, which is beautiful. So for me, um, and, and because, you know, you mentioned, I, I mentioned at the beginning, people settled where their churches were, where their houses of worship were. So the church that I attend um, locally had very strong German and Swiss influence. In fact, when, when I was a kid, there was a German service every Sunday morning before the English service. And when I was at, at, until I was probably in my mid-teens, even parts of like our midweek service would have had a German portion in it because we had a lot of folks that spoke German. Germans can be Swiss as well because Swiss understand German. So for me, my family had more of a a German Austro-Hungarian flavor because before World War II, there was the Austro-Hungarian Empire, mm-hmm. you know, so there were Germans that moved around. And so I had that that kind of influence. But a lot of my friends here in Syracuse were from Switzerland. Their parents were from Switzerland. And there's some unique Swiss things. You know, I never, when I grew up, I never had cheese fondue or something else that the Swiss eat called raclette. But because mm-hmm. I have so many wonderful Swiss friends, well, guess what? Hmm. There's nothing nicer in the winter than to make a fondue, you know, or to have raclette, which I guess at one point was considered, you know, peasant food because that's what they could create themselves you know they'd make their cheese and they'd store it in their cheese houses or whatever and that's what they could get used to to winter over well for us that's a delicacy because that's amazing so that was the piece that we picked up um adding from my friends who were more of the swiss now i don't you know i don't have any i didn't have any close friends that were any other nationality other than like the german swiss Mm mm-hmm but we're also lucky to have, you know, we still have cultural festivals we in do. our area. And, yes. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to experience different cultures and, and to take our children to experience that. Because I yes. think, you know, that that's what's really important is um, celebrating not only our own cultures, but the cultures of others is really important. And not just in a way that's like, oh, great, like, you know, good for you to celebrate your culture, but to actually embrace it and to yes. celebrate with them and to right. learn about different cultures. I think it, I think it's really fascinating. And we have, we have a lot of opportunity to do that around here. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, you know, as you were saying that, I remember that we did have a, a time in our church locally where we had Hungar- we had some, some folks coming from Hungary um, and then I was thinking about, I just was on the phone with somebody today and he and his wife were from Brazil, you know, but he's an older gentleman that, that, that attends our church as well with his wife. And so we had this interesting French, Hungarian, you know, with a little bit of Spanish. It was just, it was interesting. There's, there was a song that our kids were learning in Sunday school that they would sing in five languages. Wow. Same song in five languages. 
because we had somebody in the church could, that could teach them all five of those languages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it still happens today that people go where their cultural centers are, and for ours, it happened to be our, our faith community. The leadership piece in this is that, I, that I wrote about was that as leaders, we need to leverage the uniqueness of our immigrant populations and celebrate it. Just like you said, not just know it, celebrate it and make them feel welcome in our facilities because they will be driving some of the greatest opportunity for us because for them, it's a new life. And, and we, um, I do have a link in the, in the show notes of the interview that I did with Mahudin Kerchik from Stickley, mm-hmm. where, you know, when, when I asked Mahudin, who came from Bosnia and now is, is working in their HR department, you know, why America? Wow. I mean, I had, I had chills down my spine when he talked about it. So I, I want yeah. our, anybody listening to this podcast, go to that link. It's a YouTube video that we posted of my interview with, with Mahudin Kerchik. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's incredible to hear his story. And, it, and it, I encourage everyone to go watch it. And it's not very long. I think it's maybe, what, like an eight-minute eight video? Something like that. Um, you know, and, you, and if you don't have that much time, skip toward like the last four or five minutes. Yeah, it uh, is very moving and really reminded me of, of how fortunate we really are. Exactly. Here. Absolutely. So, any plans for the weekend? Uh, no, not really. Just uh, okay. just anxiously awaiting spring. <laughs> it's coming. It's right around the corner. I know. I need to create my spring bucket list. That is one of you the do. items on my so winter did, bucket list. <laughs> how, much, how much is left on the winter one? There are a few things left. All right. And I don't hurry. know if they'll all happen. <laughs> I realized, I, you know, one of my um, build a snowman was on our list. And while we have gone out in the snow so many times, mm. we did snow angels. We built a fort. We had all kinds of snow activities, but I, well, we just had a lot of fluffy snow. And so we didn't make a snowman. But you know what? Um, Spring snowstorms are really good for making snowmen. So we'll see. I mean, that might snow. still happen. You might still get it. Don't don't, don't just completely abdicate the list yet. Oh, I, list. we haven't. We there's okay. a, there's just a few things a few things left on there that uh okay for the next couple of weeks. So next week we're going to talk about ladders. All right. And that's all I'll say. Okay. So with that, I'm Dave Freund. I'm Marissa Norcross. And this was the next page.